Here at Westridge Church, our sole purpose and desire is to lead people on a life-changing journey to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Thank you for deciding to join us in worship through one of our teachings. May this message assist in your daily walk with Jesus Christ. To find out more about Westridge or to connect with us, check us out at westridge.com. All right, well, this morning, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take out your connection card that you were handed as you walked through the the door, and I want you to grab a pen or a pencil or something, and I want you to write down the main points that I'm about to give you. And if you don't have a pen or pencil, whatever, you just want to use your app, they're going to be on there. And here's why I want you to do that. I I want you to keep these things in front of you all week long. I want you to put them in a place where you can see them all week. I want you to go over them every day. I want you to meditate them. I want you to think about them, and I want them to become part of your life, all right? If you have teenage, a teenage daughter who is maybe a middle schooler or a teenage son, I want you to think about what I'm about to say this morning, and I want you to make this foundational to their life. Because I'm telling you, as you walk through the valleys and the mountaintops of life, it is so crucial that you know who you are. But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, it is absolutely imperative. It is, it is, it is crucial that you know who you are in God's eyes and who you are in Christ. Because it impacts everything about you. It impacts your goals. It impacts your dreams. It impacts your desires. It impacts your relationships. It impacts your friendships. It impacts your dating relationships. It impacts your marriages. It impacts how you feel about yourself. It impacts how you deal with your past, how you navigate through your present, and how you approach your future. And there are so many people that I meet all the time who claim to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, They claim to know God as their heavenly father, and yet they live their daily lives out as if they are orphans. Now, why is that? It's because they don't truly know who they are in Christ. Maybe they know the information, they've got the knowledge in their head, but it has never really truly sunk down deep into their being to where it impacts their daily life. And you've heard me say this before if you've been here for for a while. When you know who you are, when you know whose you are, and when you know who, where where you are going, that will change everything. That is a game changer. Well, this morning, we're starting a brand new series out of the book of Ephesians. And I love this book because it lays out the very, very foundational truth of who we are in Christ. And then it tells us, how to walk it out on a daily basis. And this morning, before we get into the walking, before we let you go out into the big bad world to face everything that you're going to face this week, it is important that we truly get our hands around one of the foundational truths of Scripture of who we really are as one of God's children. Now, the book of Ephesians is a letter written to the church at Ephesus by the Apostle Paul. Paul's ministry in Ephesus is actually... Um, written and recorded. It was written, but it's recorded in Acts chapter 20. But Paul, when he wrote this, it was 10 years after that time, and he wrote it from a Roman jail cell. He had been in prison for a while, so he wrote this 10 years after that. And Ephesus was this culture that was, was truly dedicated to idol worship. But Paul started a church there, and it was a, it was a strong, vibrant church. However, he felt this great pressing need to express to these believers some important truth about who they were as followers of Jesus and how they were to live this truth out 
on a daily basis in the midst of this very godless culture. And the words in Christ, those two words are used 27 different times in this letter. In Christ literally describes our identity as children of God. It is our spiritual position in God's eyes. Because of who you are in Christ, we are able to draw on all of the wealth, all of the riches of Christ as we walk every day through this life. And that's the theme of this book. As followers of Jesus Christ, we have everything that we need every single moment of every single day to walk victorious in this life. As we go through this life on this earth, because of our, our, our identity in Christ, we are able to draw from this deep source of spiritual blessing and wealth and strength and provision that is all found in Christ. And it's in this letter, especially in chapter one, which is where we're going to start here today, that Paul lays all of this out for us. And I want us to look at verse three. One thing that's really important in the very beginning, he calls us saints, and I think that's important. But I want to start in verse three, and it says this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, what an amazing promise. God has provided us in Christ with all spiritual blessings to live successful Christian lives in our lifetime. Philippians chapter 4.19 says it this way. God promises to supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now with that said, nowhere does Paul say that we're not going to experience pain that we're not going to go through poverty, that we're not going to uh, experience moments of persecution. There's no promise in the Bible of a trouble-free life. There's no promise of material wealth and riches. However, what God has promised us through Jesus is far greater and far more satisfying than anything we could ever, ever gain materially. So if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, let me make this real clear to you. You're rich. You are wealthy, not in a material way, but listen, you are a zillionaire in the spiritual realm because of his son, Jesus. Here's how author Warren Wearsby describes it. He says, when Jesus wrote his last will and testament for his church, he made it possible for us to share in his spiritual riches. Instead of spending it all, Jesus paid it all. His death on the cross and his resurrection make our salvation possible. He wrote us into his will and then he died so his will would be in force. Then he rose again that he might become our heavenly lawyer to make sure that the terms of our inheritance were correctly followed. Then in one huge long sentence, I want you to know the Apostle Paul, as he's writing through verses 3 through 14, he lays out all of the blessings of our inheritance that we find in Christ. And as we go through this this morning, I want you to note that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all play a role in this, in this experience. They all play a role in providing all of these spiritual blessings that we need in this lifetime. So I'm going to read verse 3 again. Again, listen, it's, it's one big long sentence, so it even seems a little fragmented as I'm reading it. But I want to pick up in verse 3 and read through verse 6 here, and we'll start there. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ 
with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that he should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now, here's what, here's what Paul says about our heavenly father. Because of God the Father, we are, verse 4, chosen. Verse 5, we are adopted. And verse 6, we are accepted into God's family. Now, I want to say this. Verse four, verses 4 through 6 are one of the most debated passages of Scripture in the Bible. And this is what we call the doctrine of election. Now, there are a few common interpretations of this passage, all right? And I'm going to give you two of them. One is many people believe that before the world was ever created, God elected certain people for salvation, okay? In other words, God is drawing selected people to himself to receive his love and forgiveness. And only those who have been predestined for salvation can actually be saved and go to heaven. God has, not ex- God has extended grace to some, but he has not extended grace to others, okay? And there's a lot of, maybe some of you in this crowd, you, that's where you land. I've got people on my staff, this is where they land. There's other people that, that believe that before the world was ever created, God chose a plan to save mankind. He knew that that, that man would fall away because of sin. And so because of that, he provided a plan for salvation through Jesus Christ before time ever began. In other words, God extends grace to everyone and we have a choice to either reject or to receive his offer of grace. Now, I'm gonna say this to you. Smarter people than me have been debating this theology for years and years and years, for centuries, and they will debate it until Christ comes back and gets us all straightened out, Okay. Now, some of you are going, where do you fall in this? Well, here's where I fall. I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe that God offers grace to all, but he knows who is going to choose to receive it. And I also believe that regardless of what you do believe about this, it doesn't change our responsibility to share Christ with everyone who will listen. All right, now listen. Too many people are sitting around in coffee houses today debating this theology. Too many people are sitting around behind, behind computers just blogging and blogging and blogging about what they think about this theology instead of being out sharing Christ with everyone who will listen about what Jesus has done for us. So, however, when you look at this passage, here's what you realize about what God has done. He has, he has provided a plan for me and for you to be chosen into his family. And as his children, we have been adopted as his sons and daughters. We've been absolutely accepted as his own. Now, many of you probably don't know this, but I have a 24-year-old adopted brother. He has been in my family since he was eight days old. And I'll tell you this, God chose him to be adopted into our family. My parents have accepted him and loved him every bit as much as they have loved my brother Kevin and I. He is, he is as much of a son of John and Judy Bloy as I am and as my brother Kevin is. Matter of fact, we would probably tell you that he, is, he has been way more spoiled than we have ever been. Okay, I'm, my mom's sitting right over here. I'm, I'll, she's probably shaking her head, all right? I want you to know that because of Jesus, because of Jesus, you are as much of a son or a daughter to God the Father as Jesus is to his Father. 
Come on. Listen, the Bible says in Romans 8, 17, that we aren't just heirs of the father, but we're joint heirs with Jesus. Now, some of us, we go, that's almost hard to believe, isn't it? That, but that's how much God loves us. Every spiritual blessing in the heavens that is available to Jesus is available to you right now as well. But it's only because of Jesus. In Christ, we have been chosen, accepted, and adopted. Now, some of you grew up or you have been growing up or maybe you're growing up now with a, a, a kind of a, maybe a poor uh, relationship with your earthly father. Maybe you have never felt accepted by him. And so the whole idea of a heavenly father is really kind of hard to get your arms around. Listen, I want you to know something. In Christ, you are fully accepted by your heavenly father. He adopted you and loves you as much as he loves his very own son. That's what God has done, but that's not all. Because of Christ, we see what God has done, chosen, he's, he's chosen us, he's adopted us, he's accepted us. But because of Christ, we've been redeemed. Look at verse seven. In him, we have redemption through his blood. In other words, in Christ, you have given, he, God has given you a redemptive pardon by the shedding of Jesus' blood on our behalf. Now, the Greek word redemption means this. And redemption is kind of a big Bible word, but we need to know what it means if it's in here. It means to be released from captivity to be purchased or to be set free. When Paul wrote this letter, uh, in the Roman Empire had at this time over six million slaves. And they were bought and sold like pieces of furniture. If someone was a slave and a friend wanted to purchase that person's freedom, they would have to go buy that slave and then set them free. And that's exactly what Paul has in mind here. Jesus paid the price for our ransom. And then... He, the price was his blood. He paid the price for our freedom and the price was his own blood. Now in the Old Testament, the only way to pay for sin against God was the shedding of blood. So priests would kill innocent animals and then their blood would be poured on onto the altar, onto the temple, into the temple to pay for sins. And that was the only way that sin could be paid for. Now you're saying, what exactly has Christ set me free from? Well, first of all, Jesus has set us free from the requirement of the law. He has paid for our sins once and for all. No more blood needs to be shed. He's also set us free from the power of sin. Romans 6 says we're no longer slaves to its power over us. We are not helpless puppets when it comes to sin. As God's children, we have been set free from sin's mastery over us. He's also freed us from the power of Satan and this world. Satan has no authority over us. This world does not have authority over us as God's children. If we were slaves, we'd still be poor. But because we're sons and daughters of God, we're rich in every single way. Jesus found us on the slave market. He paid the ransom for our lives and then he set us free. Then we've also been forgiven. Look at verse seven. It says, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Now, I have good news and I have bad news. Let's start off with the bad news. This verse assumes that there are sins that we are guilty of. That's the bad news. The penalty for sin is not a slap on the wrist. It's not, a, not like a parking ticket. It's not being put in the corner in timeout. No, the penalty for sin is actually death. It's separation from God in a very real place called hell. So the bad news is really bad. But the good news is almost too good to be true. 
Christ took the blame and the guilt for our sins and he took it upon himself on the cross. He was the only perfect sacrifice that could actually pull that off. However, our forgiveness did not come cheap. It cost God the life of his very own son, Jesus. Now, the word, the, the word forgive literally means to be carried away. Now, here's the picture that we see in the Old Testament of what this means. In the Old Testament, on the Jewish Day of Atonement, the priest would have two goats brought to him. And he would kill one of the goats, and he would take the, goat, the blood of that goat, and he would sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat inside of the temple. Then he would confess Israel's sins over the other goat, the live goat, and he would take that goat out onto the, to the edge of the wilderness, and he would send that goat into the wilderness, never to be found again, never to be seen again. Now, do you get the picture here? When Jesus died for us, he carried our sins away so that they would never, ever, ever be seen again. Now, some of you may be saying, well, wait a minute. Do I still sin? Because I, I think I still sin. You do. And we still deal with the, with the consequences and the fallout of our sinful decision. It still robs us of our joy. It still steals our peace. We still deal with the, the, the consequences. I mean, it robs us of our intimacy with God. That's why repentance is such an amazing gift. That's why it is so important to us. Because when we sin, we can confess it and we can receive forgiveness once again. And when we do, what happens? The joy is restored. The peace comes back over us. The relationship is right again. I mean, when you look at that, you go, what an amazing gift. Sin has made us poor, but God says we've been redeemed and forgiven according to the riches of his grace. In other words, we have been blessed according to his grace. Look at verse 7. We have been given the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which, and I love this, which he has lavished upon us. Now, God could have saved us out of his riches. But Paul says something really important here. He says, God saved us not out of his riches. He saved us according to his riches. Now, what does that mean? Well, let me give you an illustration. Back in the, in the 1930s during the Great Depression, there was a millionaire by the name of John D. Rockefeller. I'm sure you've heard of him. And at times, he would dress up in a really nice suit. He'd put on a top hat, and he would have his picture made giving a dime to a little boy or a little girl. All right. Now, back then, giving a dime to someone was like handing $10 to them today. When John D. Rockefeller did that, he gave out of the abundance of his wealth, out of his riches. Had he actually looked at that little boy and purchased a mansion for him and then gave him a chauffeured uh, a limousine, he would, have given out, he would have given according to his riches. See, God, is, God has saved us not merely out of his riches. He has saved us according to his riches. How much grace does God possess? God has a never-ending storehouse of grace, and he offers it to us without limit. Matter of fact, verse 8 says he is lavished upon us. God, God hasn't just given us a little bit of maybe leftover grace. No, no, no. He has dumped barrels on us from an endless supply. Listen, your sin will never outweigh his grace. Romans chapter 5 verse 20 says, where sin increased, grace did what? It abounded all the more. Because of how he has chosen to handle his supply of grace, he never runs out of forgiveness for his children. His grace for us is never ending. Now, I know some people look at God and say, how in the world... How in the world could a loving God allow all of this sin that goes on in the world? 
How, how could a loving God allow the, the death that takes place around us? How could a loving God allow such horrific suffering? Listen, because grace is unmerited, because grace is undeserved, in other words, we can't earn it, we need to change our mindset about that. We need to actually change our thoughts and say this. With all of our sin and with all of the bad choices that we have chosen to make, how in the world could a loving God continue to extend such forgiveness and love towards us? How in the world could God continue to offer such grace? I mean, it almost doesn't make sense. But yet in spite of this, because of Christ, God keeps doing it. We've been blessed with a never-ending amount, this infinite amount of grace. That should blow our minds. Then he says, we've been shown the mystery of his will. What in the world does that mean? Look at verse 8. It says, in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set for in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Now, not only has Jesus bought us back from the slave market that we were stationed in by the shedding of his blood, and not only has he given us this never-ending supply of forgiveness and this unlimited amount of grace, but the Bible says he's also revealed his will to us. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, verse 8 says, we've received wisdom and insight to know God's will. Let me explain the difference to you. On one hand, God has given us wisdom. He's given us wisdom to understand things like life and death, heaven and hell, time and eternity. On the other hand, God has given us insight to understand practical things. Insight helps you to apply wisdom to every single day life things. Now, what in the world is the mystery of his will? Well, Paul gives us the answer here. He says, one day we are all going to be united in Christ. And here's what this means. Ever since the day that sin came into the world, things have been falling apart. Man chose to sin, and when he did, he was separated from God. Then man became separated from man when Cain killed Abel. And then people tried to bring unity back to God by doing what? By building a tower, the Tower of Babel. And God got mad and he scattered people all over the earth and he created different languages. Then wars began to break out with people groups, Jews against Gentiles. And sin since then has become like this cancer. It just keeps tearing things apart. I mean, it just, it just, it's like ravishes the world. I mean, look at the world that we live in. You've got Muslim against Jew and against Christian. You've got riots breaking out in places like Ferguson, Missouri. You've got skin color after, against skin color. You've got neighbor against neighbor. You think of uh, just even in the religious world. You've got you know, people reformed against non-reformed, charismatic against non-charismatic. I mean, we have let our theological differences divide us. But the Bible says that there will come a day that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Of those who are in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And at that very moment, Christ will gather the entire universe into, uni into unity. In other words, the whole world will be in submission to him. And that is the mystery of his will. And it's been unhidden and given to us as his children. The people in the Old Testament, they didn't know what I just told you. The people that were walking around during Jesus' time, they had no clue about what I just said to you. But today, because of God's word, we know it. We now have it. It's been revealed to us. And because of that, we are now responsible for it. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 
Paul says that we've actually been made stewards. We've been made overseers of the information that God has revealed to us. And so we have a responsibility not only to understand the truth about God, but we have a responsibility to share it with as many people as we can that will listen to it. God has saved us. He has entrusted us with truth truth so that we will share it with other people. The responsibility has been placed upon our shoulders to share the fact that through Jesus, everyone has a chance to be redeemed and forgiven of sin. It is on us. It's on us to tell the world that Jesus is coming back for his children and that everything that we need to live successfully in this lifetime is found in Christ. The next thing we see is that we've been made an inheritance. Look at verse 11. In him, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Now, I know this sounds like deep scripture. Matter of fact, it's the kind of scripture that you read and you go, oh my goodness, let me just get to the next few verses here. And we just kind of gloss over it. But I want you to stop here for a moment. And I want you to let this soak in because this is rich. And it contains great truth about you as a follower of Jesus Christ. And here, let me just give you the bottom line. Here's what this says. You are incredibly valuable to Jesus. You're incredibly valuable to Jesus. He paid a great price to purchase you. And now you're part of his his inheritance. Not only did we inherit him as our savior, but Jesus actually inherited us. If you look in John chapter 17, Jesus is praying to his father and he keeps referring to us as those who have been given to him. In other words, Jesus is a gift to us, but we are a gift to him. That's how highly God thinks of you. We've been purchased out of sin. We have been forgiven. He has lavished grace upon you from an endless supply. In other words, it will never run out. He has revealed his will to us. And not only have we inherited Jesus, but he has inherited us. And if you are a true follower of Jesus, you are a recipient of everything you need to walk powerfully in this lifetime. In Christ, we have been given every spiritual blessing and no one... I don't care what your past has been. I don't care what your present future currently looks like. No one can ever, ever steal that from you. It cannot be taken away. These things are yours forever. You might be saying, how in the world can you be so sure? Well, this is where the Holy Spirit comes in. Because of the Holy Spirit, we have been sealed and we have been delivered. Look at verse 13. In him you also... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now listen, I know that there are a lot of people out there in church, the church world that believe that you can lose your salvation. But look at what this says. It says that when we have heard the message of salvation and when we have truly believed in him, we were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. In other words, it is not our job to keep our salvation. The Holy Spirit does that. And the way that he does it is with a seal. Now, the Bible mentions the word seal all throughout its pages. And some of you may be going, what does that mean? Well, it's not an animal. It's not a pop singer from the 90s. No, a seal in ancient times was actually made of wax. A king would take wax and he would pour it out onto an important document. And then he would take his, 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 uh, his ring that had his, his own signet on it. 
All right, that said that this was a, a document from him. And he would take his ring and he would place it into the wax. And then he would place it down onto the document to make it authentic and binding. Listen, at the moment of your salvation, you were given the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit serves as an official seal that is stamped onto your life that says, this person from now on belongs to God the Father and is gifted as an inheritance to the Son. In other words, you are a member of God's divine family and you are an authentic citizen of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven forever. God's guarantee of this agreement is the pledge of the Holy Spirit. Now look at how Paul ends this sentence. He describes us as God's own special possession. In other words, you are a trophy of God's grace. I know some of you may not feel like that this morning, but that's what you are. You're a trophy of God's grace. Not only did he create you, but he purchased you. There's a story that I heard years ago of a little boy who who built this sailboat. This kid loved this sailboat. He put it in his bedroom. He used to dream of one day when he would be out on the water sailing in a boat, obviously much bigger than that. But one day he took this little sailboat down to the lake that he lived near and he just put it in the water near the shore and all of a sudden this gust of wind came along and just took the sailboat and took it out into the lake. I mean, there was no way he could get this thing. Several months later, I mean, he's walking down the, 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 the downtown street with his mom and he looks over and into this pawn shop window and he sees the sailboat. And he runs away from his wife, just leaves her hand, runs into the store and he says, Mr. Mr. This, this sailboat in the window is mine. I built that. I made that. And the store owner looked at him and said, it's not yours. I found it. But if you want it back, it's 20 bucks. So this kid went home and I mean, he worked, he saved his money until he had, he had $20. And when he had $20, he went back into the pawn shop and he walked up to the pawn shop owner and he put down his $20 and he grabbed that sailboat and he walked out of the store. And as he was walking out, he looked at that little sailboat and he said, listen, you are mine once again. I made you and then I lost you, but I bought you back. In other words, and I, you're twice mine. Listen, the Lord not only made us, but he bought us and he paid for us and we are twice his. I want you to think for a moment about the challenges you're facing. Some of you are dealing with a marital situation that is, I mean, it's just wearing you out. Some of you are dealing with a, in a dating relationship. And I mean, it's it, it almost defined you. I mean, you, you, you just feel so less than the bottom of the barrel. Some of you are looking at a past, some things that happened in your past, things that were said to you, things that were done to you. And you're, you're just, it's like baggage that you're carrying around in your future. Some of you are looking at your future and you're just going, I I don't see any hope. I I see nothing in the future that gives me any hope. There's nothing there. Some of you, maybe you just feel trapped in sin. It's like this thing that just like this 100 pound weight, just bag that you just keep dragging around everywhere you go. And you just think of all this stuff and it just overwhelms you. Listen, when you think for a minute, about who you are in Christ, here's what you need to remember. You are chosen, you are accepted, and you have been adopted into God's very own family. You have been redeemed, you have been forgiven, you have been given the riches of his grace, you've been made an inheritance, you have been sealed, and you have been delivered to God as his prized possession. And so I don't, I don't know what you're going through. Listen, but, but let this sink deeply into your thought. Put it in front of you all week long. 
Let it get into your heart to the place where you look at that and you go, I'm going to let this define me. No longer will my past define me. No longer will my sin define me. No longer will what someone else, a coach, a teacher, a mom, a dad, a brother, sister, a you know, former friend, that will no longer define me. What will define me from here on out is what Jesus has said about me. What defined me is who I am in Christ. And I will stare at that every day. I will stare at that every day and I will, believe, I will choose to believe that truth until it becomes who I am. And until, and listen, until you get that, you will live your life as an orphan. You'll live your life as an orphan because you truly don't know who you belong to and you truly don't know the price that's been paid to get you to that place. You've been chosen You've been accepted. You've been adopted into God's very own family. And Jesus paid a great price for all of that to happen. And then the Holy Spirit has come along and he sealed you. And one day you will be delivered. You are God's prized possession. I don't know about you, but I could, I could go out of here just real excited about that. Matter of fact, I'm tempted to keep you in here until you get this. Because I don't want you going out there in the world any longer walking around naked without truth as a target for the world to hammer you, as Satan to pick you off. When this becomes the reality of your life, listen, you're still going to face attacks. You're still going to face whatever the world wants to throw at you, but you just throw this right back in Satan's face, in the world's face, and go, no, no, this is who I am. In Christ alone is who I am. We, We can't walk further until we get this. We can't walk through Ephesians until we get this. That's why we had to camp out here this morning. I want us to bow our heads for a moment. Some of you have never received God's gift of salvation. You didn't earn it. You can't gain it. You can't work your way into it. It's grace. It's a gift. That's why Jesus came. That's why blood had to be shed. That's why a payment had to be made. You couldn't make it. Jesus did it. And God offers it to you. And this morning, if you've never received the free gift of salvation that God extends to you today by grace, I want you to pray with me right now. Just say, Lord, right now, I need your forgiveness. I am sorry for my sin. I put all of my faith and my trust in Christ alone. And this morning, I receive forgiveness of my sins. I receive salvation. Lord, by grace, thank you. I I receive everything that you promised to me that I don't deserve. And I put all of my faith and my trust in what Jesus has done for me on the cross, on the blood that has been shed. And I ask you right now to be my personal Savior. You are the Son of God. I receive your gift of salvation. If you just prayed that with me, head still bowed, take out your connection card, fill it out for us. There's a box that says, today I prayed to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. Take it to the help center in just a moment. We want to help you to take your next step on your journey with Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for every person that's in this building right now. Lord, that we would not live another moment of our lives 
without truly putting our arms around this and embracing the truth that we have been chosen, that we've been adopted, that we've been accepted by you. Lord, by you, the Father. Because of Jesus and who we are in Christ, we've been redeemed and forgiven. And we've, Lord, you've lavished grace upon us in, in a, from an endless supply. Lord, you have made us your inheritance. You've sealed us and you've delivered us. One day you will deliver us, deliver us because of the power of your Holy Spirit. We are we're your prized possessions. What grace. But we don't deserve that. But thank you for that. And may we walk boldly and may we walk confidently through not only the rest of this day, but through the rest of our life because of who we are in Christ. Thank you in Jesus' name.